Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Psalm 19, this is the word of the Lord. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the ends of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart, the commandments of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of my hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For many Christians today, the Old Testament seems offensive and irrelevant. In reality, the Old Testament is as applicable to Christians as is the New Testament. The church did not replace Israel. The promises given to Israel are continuing their fulfillment in the church. The believers of the Old Testament were saved the same way as the believers of the New Testament. They were saved by faith in the Messiah to come, and we are saved through faith in the Messiah who has come. The Old Testament is Christian scripture that teaches us about God's holy character and our sinful character. In the Old Testament, as is in New, we find the gospel. Those who believe in the Lord and confess their sins will have their sins forgiven and will be saved. Old Testament believers were sanctified by the Holy Spirit just like New Testament believers. There is continuity, continuity between the Testaments. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is what his name, Yahweh, means. I am that I am, meaning the one who does not change. 
There is one people of God and one way of salvation through all time. God's instructions, the law of Moses, the moral law, showed the Old Testament believers and continues to show us today what perfect obedience looks like. And that obedience to, to the creator of the universe is not optional. It shows the punishment disobedience deserves. It shows the depravity of sin and that there's no hope for us without Christ. The law made known the need for Christ's obedience and death on behalf of all believers of all time. So this is what we will see in today's passage. So let's look at the prophetic words of Psalm 19. Psalm 19 can be divided into three sections. General revelation, special revelation, and the psalmist's response. Or, if you like acronyms, creation, commandment, conviction. So David starts the psalm by saying that the heavens are telling of the glory of God. David lifts up his eyes and hears a heavenly sermon. Who is speaking and what are they saying? The heavens are declaring something glorious. Wow, aren't those clouds impressive? And look, now there's a rainbow. How colorful. Have you seen the sunset? Majestic. Isn't that moon lovely? So bright. And look at the Milky Way. How grand. The ancients looked at the sky, saw the glory, and they worshipped it. The, modern, the moderns see the glory in the heavens and explain it away with science. We know why it's like that. It's because of physics and evolution and millions and billions. I think even trillions of years. It's just electromagnetic radiation, you know, that has certain wavelengths and frequencies and so on. But is that what the sky is declaring? Is it showing off its glory in order to get our worship or our technical curiosity? Or is it saying something else? What is the end chief? The end chief. What is the chief end of creation? David looks at the sky and hears the glory of God being proclaimed. He looks up and hears them tell of God's creative and glorious handiwork. The writer of Hebrew agrees. The heavens are the works of his hands, he says. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Whether during the day or during the night, Round the clock, the heavens are pointing to God and showing off his glory. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him to show them a sign from heaven? It was as though they did not hear the heaven's sermon. Yet the whole sky is a sign of God's glory. There is no speech, nor are there words 
Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the ends of the world. You may have heard it said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. By the way, that is bad advice. But the heavens do not have words. They do not have a voice. Yet their message is being broadcasted throughout all the world. Their testimony is heard by every man, woman, and child, regardless of language, race, or culture. That is why no one will be without excuse on Judgment Day. That is what is called general or natural revelation. Creation is declaring God's glory to all, so that all will know that there is a God who is their creator. Our local atheists, the Hindu priests of India, or the uncontacted tribesmen of the Amazon rainforest, they all hear this amazing message of the glory of God. There is no escaping the truth that God created the world and that we owe something to him. We owe our worship to him. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of heavens and a circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So next, David looks at the sun in particular. Did you feel the heat of the sun today? I came out into my backyard after lunch. It was burning hot. Have you ever looked directly at the sun? Word of warning, the consensus in the medical community is that looking directly at the sun can damage the eyes, potentially causing irreversible retinal damage and vision loss. This is not recommended practice. Do you know how far the sun is away from us? Where are my science nerds? about 94 million miles away. How can something so far away cause vision loss? God made the sun to be that magnificent. Even though it is so far away, it affects us and our surroundings. Nothing is hidden from its heat. One commentator says, the sun is exalted and magnificent yet obedient. Obedient to whom? To none but God who gave a light. If God tells the sun to stop, it stops. If God tells the sun to move back 10 steps, it moves back 10 steps. And uh, we have examples of this in the Bible, by the way. The sun which God ignited doesn't seek our worship but tells us of God's shining glory. The Bible tells us that if we were to see God's face, we would die. And that's why the sun is there. Day after day, thousand years after a thousand years, the sun is revealing to us a glimpse of God's glory. We can look at the sun and it won't kill us. But look a little too long and you will go blind. There are so many things to say about the sun and uh, what it teaches, it about, teaches us about God and not only the sun and 
all creation in general is pointing us to, to our creator. But the sky and the sun are passing away. There will come a day when the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, and there will be no need for the sun. So let's move on to something more glorious, something that is lasting, something that lasts forever. In the next part of Psalm 19, starting in verse 7 and down through 11, David lowers his eyes from the sky to God's word in front of him. In this section, he focuses on God's special revelation. God's special revelation comes to us through the medium of the written word, the Bible. Through this revelation, God made his names known. You know, we can look at creation all day long and, and marvel at God's glory, but we will never learn God's name. And this is the need, and this is why there, God gave us a special revelation, his word. And so in this section, the name of God is emphasized by the use of the Lord, which appears uh, six times in this section. Through God's special revelation, we also receive his laws and commandments. And just uh, to get it a little bit into grammar, who loves grammar? And there's a few people. <laughs> All right, this is for you guys. So in this section about God's word, David uses six nouns for God's revealed will. They are law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, judgments. And all these nouns for God's revealed will or God's commandments evoke reverence and well-founded trust and detailed obedience in the hearer. And these nouns are paired up with six adjectives. Stick with me. This is glorious. David calls God's commandments perfect and sure and right and pure and enduring and true. All these are opposite of compromise and sincerity or half-truths. Let's read uh, verses 7 through 9 and verse 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord's are true, they are righteous altogether. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord gives life to the soul and wisdom to the mind. The commandments of the Lord are a source of joy and understanding. The judgments of the Lord are eternal and are always right. By them we are warned so that, that we do not sin against our glorious God. And those who love God and obey his commandments will live forever. In other words, God's instruction is good for us. 
It keeps us safe in this life, and it rewards us in the life to come. David says there, God's commands are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. According to David, this is, this is how good God's law is. God, uh, the Lord's commandments are sweeter than honey. Let me paraphrase that. Slavic people are big on honey. Uh, I think uh, non-Slavic people are probably not as big on honey. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but, so let me paraphrase this. The commandments of the Lord are sweeter than nerds and Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are some of the sweetest things that I've had. Oh, that may, that, oh, that may we have the heart of our brother David. He says, oh, how I love your law. I think about it all day long. I want it more than riches. I want it more than all world's pleasures. As we saw earlier, the sun follows its set course, and it does it with joy. Are we following the course laid out for us in God's commandments with joy? When you hear the law, do you go, ah, oh, or ah? Uh the law. We naturally do not like laws because laws are for lawbreakers. But we break laws all the time. Laws get in the way of our freedom. They get in the way of what we want to do. This is our attitude about civil laws. But what about God's holy law? Who can relate to David's love for God's law? Do God's uh, commands motivate, motivate us to get up in the morning? Do we wake up and say, I want to wake up because I want to meditate on God's law today? Or do we wake up and say, let's get this bread? Meaning, let's make money. Right? Let me get out of, I don't want to get out of bed, but there's money to be made. Are we motivated by the number of pounds we're going to bench that day? Are we motivated by the girl we're going to see at school? Or by the attention we're going to get because of our new shoes or haircut? Are we motivated by avoiding uh, making our wife or husband angry? Are we motivated by sales at Costco? Or maybe we're motivated by over-medium eggs and crispy bacon in the morning, or cake. But is anyone motivated by God's law or his commandments? Whether Presbyterian or Pentecostal, whether Amish or Anglican, we all have the same problem. We don't love God's law. It's not sweet to us. This is, this is the effect of our indwelling sin. We are carried away with ourselves. We are inconsistent and doubtful. 
We compromise. We're insincere. We enjoy and promote half-truths. The things that motivate, motivate us could be summarized, or actually are summarized in the Bible like this. There are lusts of the flesh, there are lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. But the Apostle John says, the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. Do not love the world, brothers and sisters, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not with him. Does this explain why we can't relate to King David's love for God's commandments? It may be that we have been looking down and not up. We're not seeing God's glory in creation. It may be that we're feeding our soul with scrolling and neglecting the scroll. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So now, come along with me and, and with David to the third section of Psalm 19. It's the section that I call conviction. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David expresses his heart-searching, heart-wrenching response. God's word shows us how perfect he is and how wretched we are. Remember verse 6? Nothing can hide from the sun's heat. Even more so, no one can hide their sin from God's blazing gaze. In verse 12, David asks God to forgive him his hidden faults. One commentator points out um, that it's, it's not because these hidden faults are too small to see, but it's because they're too characteristic to register. In other words, it's not that the hidden sin is petty or insignificant, but that we don't think of it as sin, maybe because everyone else is doing it. it maybe it's the norm of the day. It's Perhaps it's habitual. It's just what men do. Boys will be boys. It's just how women are. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. They are just kids. They'll grow up. They'll grow out of it. We have grown cold and are slow to believe. The sin that bothered us in the past became a habit and no longer registers. So much so that we stop repenting of it. it it's, you know, it just, we just say it's just, it's just who we are. It's just part of our character. 
our rudeness becomes part of our character. We call it being real. Our unkindness and lack of self-control are excused because of uh, hormonal imbalance. Our anxiety about tomorrow is labeled as responsible living. Our unhappiness is, is uh, well, you know, because the world is so crazy. And our president is the worst there ever was. But David prays that God will keep him from presumptuous sins. After self-examination in light of God's instruction, he realizes that he sins both consciously and unconsciously. Both on purpose and by habit. Both in public and in private. Let them not rule over me, he prays. And it's just how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. David says, then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. That is, that is the cause of true happiness, this acquittal of transgression. cause of our happiness is that our sins are forgiven. How blessed is he, says David, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In verse 14, he continues and says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because David loves God, because David loves God's law and sees God's glory in his commands, he asks God to sanctify him. He desires to live his life as a living sacrifice, pleasing unto the Lord. And finally, David takes his eyes off of himself and praises God by calling him his rock and his redeemer. He is worthy of praise. He is the king eternal. So in conclusion, the heavens... Declare the glory of God. The sun shines, uh, sh shines, shows the brightness of God's glory. And the law, God's law, reveals eternal truth, God's eternal truth and righteous commands. God's instruction is precious. It is good for us. By it, believers are kept from sin. All who do good works in faith will be rewarded eternally. So what are we to do? What is God's will for us? We read Psalm 19, and it's from the Old Testament. You know, it's for the, uh, the Old Testament believers, the laws and the commandments, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're no longer under the law, but under grace. But if you remember what I said earlier, the law, moral law, has not been canceled. It's God's standard. Standard for living for all people, especially believers. This psalm is, remember I said it was also prophetic. Why is it prophetic? God's word is prophetic. God's written word is prophetic. It reveals his will to us. It reveals our spiritual condition. 
if we, and what is our spiritual condition? If we don't desire to obey God more than we desire to be wealthy, we are spiritually bankrupt. If we don't value godliness more than the pleasures and the comforts of this life, we will be most dissatisfied. Christian, do you know that you are called to live a holy and a godly life? Listen to Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Doesn't this sound like Psalm 19? And that's coming from the New Testament. Therefore, brothers and sisters, as we look around at creation, let's listen in. Let's hear what it's telling us. It's pointing us to God and his glory. And may that cause us to come to his word and see the glory of his commandments, to see the glory in his law and his instruction to us. And may that cause us to see our own sin, our own heart, our own law-breaking that happens either privately or in public, you know, in our heart or out in the open daily, if we're honest. That is why David prays, you know, forgive me presumptuous sins. Forgive me the hidden faults or things that are normal that, according to God, according to his commandments, are not normal. And remember that we have a rock and a redeemer who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he has chosen us to purify us, to make us a people, a holy people, to purify him as his own possession. And so when we see our sin, let's confess it before the Lord, repent of it, and he promised that if we confess our sin, he will forgive us, he will purify us, we will be sanctified. That indwelling sin that causes us to love the world and, and not see God's commandments as sweet will, will, will be disarmed little by little as we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So, and that is the message of Psalm 19. And um, whether Old Testament and New Testament were called to holy living. And we're not alone because we have a God who will help us and he will sanctify us. Turn to him. You, say, you may say, you, uh, you know, I prayed for 10 years about this one thing. Keep on praying. I prayed for 14 years to get married. It happened. Uh, the Lord who created the universe is not 
unable to change your heart or change your character or cleanse you of your sin that clings so closely for many years. Do not give up. Do not lose faith. And uh, God will get the glory if you continue praying. Amen. Uh, Let us pray. Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, your glory is seen in all the world, in all creation, Lord. You did not leave us in the dark. You show your glory to us. You point that points, uh, your creation is pointing to us and is reminding us of how wonderful, how perfect, how holy you are. Oh, Father, and when we look in your word, we also see the, the standards that you hold us to. And we see that we are not able to live up to those standards. We fail, we sin, we, we, we are misguided, and we forget the sweetness of your commandments. Oh, Lord, I pray, sanctify us, remind us of your word, inspire us so that we may live holy lives pleasing to you, Lord. And may the message of this sermon, Father, and, and may it reap fruit in our lives. And may we continue to turn to you for help and for guidance so that you may be glorified in all things, in all of our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.